Yes, that was the immortal Susan by the Buckinghams. And it perfectly summarizes the point of this short podcast, which is the concluding reflection that I'd like to offer up on my recent severe illness. Because in addition to the two points that were related, the most important ones, Mary's holding my hand during a very frightening test, and the overwhelming rush of the Hallelujah Chorus from the 1965 Hollywood rendition of Handel in The Greatest Story Ever Told. There were three other following insights, or I would, I would say, to use Paula White's language here, revelations or inspirations, which came in the second major test, which was in fact the more serious one, the heart catheterization, which I won't discuss, except I felt like I was in Blade Runner. Um, it was absolute science fiction as far as I was concerned, but it's like it's having surgery while being conscious. But in any event, during the um, catheterization, three further thoughts occurred, and I, they've stayed with me, and I want to offer them to you to see if they spark any kind of uh, response or reflection and inner penetration, you might say, on your own part, the listener. As I was undergoing this test, this time I was all alone <clears throat> with six technicians and one surgeon all over me as I was lying down in the midst of this absolute 22nd century sci-fi situation that was really very um, kind of liminal, as I've said before, on the boundary between life and death, I had three overwhelming um, impressions. 
And you'll laugh at the first one because the episode, this episode, which is the 322nd, takes its title from what I heard. And what I heard was the narrative that you have concerning your life, Paul, is only 15% accurate. Let me repeat that. The narrative of your life that you have, that you carry with you, Paul, to describe your life, the story of my life, is only 15% true. Now, that was shocking. It wasn't 40% true or 50% true or 60% true or even 25%. It was 15% true. In other words, your understanding of what's really important and what's really happened, the your interpretation is only 15% correct. It is 85% incorrect. Now, that was a shock. I, I, I am telling you uh, with um, all the candor and sincerity and uh, conviction that I can muster that that is what I heard. 15% right, 85% wrong. Well, you can imagine how that affected my playlists, you know, my, the way I see things after it, because I took that as the word of God. I do. I take it as the word of God. In recent years, for whatever reasons that are related to my own, you know, personal um, warps and woofs and uh, conditions and circumstances and memories and recollections and self-understandings, <clears throat> I've been vastly wrong about the core elements and the proper proportion of those elements in understanding and looking at and interpreting, weighing and valuing my own history. That's uh, 60... 70 now, 70 plus years. Now, I heard two other words. And the second one, uh, you know how I've said before that he spoke to me not in a kind of beautiful Westminster Abbey version of Handel's Messiah, but in the 1965 Hollywood version, which is the real thing, but just slightly more pop. He spoke to me, quote, in a language that I could understand. It's like Pentecost. God speaks to you in, the, in a language that you can understand. It's the same message. It's like that movie... Um, um, from the 50s, uh, the next voice you hear in which everyone on earth hears a message in the radio, but it's in their language. It's a message from God. It's in their language and in their personal language, even if it's an individual, they hear it in a way that they can take in. Well, um, the second message was a picture of the chromoite. Now, the chromoite, C-H-R-O-M-O hyphen I-T-E, that's exactly accurate, to the script, is a character, an alien from another planet, what do you think, the planet Chromo, in an Outer Limits episode uh, entitled The Mice that was um, um, televised in 1964 in the original Outer Limits. I saw it. Uh, it was Monday nights. Outer Limits was Monday nights at 9 o'clock, so it was really important to stay up that late, get your homework done before then, and see it. It was the absolute acme of all human endeavors, as far as I was concerned, uh, and all human aspirations and inhuman ones, or alien ones, in 1964. And in this uh, hour-long episode, which I won't go into the details, uh, an alien is um, teleported down to planet Earth, where he is, turns out the alien is doing some experiments in the same way that the Earth people want to teleport an Earth person up to the planet Chromo to sort of look around and understand. It's kind of an exchange of scientists. But the Chromoite, which is one of the best <laughs> memorable alien um, monsters devised for the show, um, The Outer Limits, is a particular creature that um, I was told in the second word I received during the heart catheterization that um, 
my false narrative was a little bit like the chromoite. Now look it up. You can look it up easily, and maybe it'll be run by Mockingbird when they run the parking uh, parking cast. Um, the chromoite is a is obviously a, a two-legged person with two kind of arms or really claws, crab-like claws that is completely covered over by a giant, like whether you want to call it a teardrop or a glob or um, plastic or a kind of yucky, gross, non-transparent, but what's the word, you know, when it's not transparent, but it's cloudy, cloudy plastic, huge overcover, like a little bit like a mushroom, like the top of a mushroom covering over the two legs of this obviously um, extra who was inside the creature. And they put this big kind of huge loogie, is it called? <laughs> Hawking a loogie. It's this huge drop, you might say, um, that uh, creates, uh, it looks like a, a, a mushroom, but it's really, it's gross. It has crab-like sh- sh- short, for shortened hands coming out of it. And a lot of little Little drippings uh, all around it, and it's just disgusting, absolutely disgusting, like a big drop with two legs sticking under it, and and yet it's utterly memorable. If you ever saw The Mice, which you can easily do on, just look it up on YouTube, and certainly look up The Chromoite, you will be, there it is, it's all there on the internet. The Chromoite made a lasting impression because it was really gross, and it was just, the, the, the it, in fact, it turns out it's a, it's a good person. It's in fact not a bad, you know, that what is today called a trope, when the what appears to be the horrible alien, unlike the War of the Worlds, the alien turns out to be altruistic and benign. And this the chromoite was actually a vegan scientist who was trying to uh, capitalize on uh, earthly photosynthesis to find new food sources for his dying planet. Can you stand it? Anyway, the chromoite. But what I got when I saw the, the second word I received was study the chromoite when you look at the narrative. And what I immediately understood that to mean is if you take the top, the glob, the mushroom top, as it were, that's obviously been dropped on this uh, poor actor playing the chromoid, if you take the glob away, all you'd have is just a guy. In other words, take the huge, overwhelming glob that's attached sort of from the waist up to this poor creature. If you, if you happen to take that off the chromoite, you just get a guy underneath it. And, and the glob would just be a glob. And what I heard from that was that there were a theme or two in my own history that I was, um, that were like the glob. They were sort of sitting on top of me, sitting on top of the world. That's actually a wonderful song by the Spinners. Um, Tom Bell produced it. It has nothing to do with this podcast. But the, um, the take the glob away and you just have the, 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 the biped. And um, I was actually being blinded and made deaf and dumb and in every way overcome by this huge chromoite glob. And if you take the glob away, but let's imagine it's the glob is uh, the, the success. You know, I always had this idea that that the only two jobs I really thought I ever wanted were to be dean of the National Cathedral in Washington and or um, plumber professor of Christian morals and minister of the Memorial Church Harvard Yard in Cambridge to the university. Those were the two jobs that I really thought were should be mine. And they they never were, they never will, they never are, they can't be, they won't, etc., etc. And, you know, you can go down a million. But that's really, that was, and d- disappointment based on that or 
a belief that the church was this particular kind of institution as opposed to that particular institution, um, a kind of chromoite, a heavy top mushroom glob, a loogie had been, uh, I was plant, that was planted on my life. And that uh, was the 85%. Because if you look at the chromoite, all you will remember is the glob. You'll barely even see the two feet, which are kind of masked by things that look like kind of streamers coming down from the glob. You barely can recognize that he's really wearing he's really a person under there but if you take the glob away it would change but the glob has completely monopolized your memory your picture your image and in fact the creature the chromoite itself so um i was obviously covered over with some chromoite globs i could name a couple of others uh, pictures from the past uh, experiences um feelings uh and uh, aspirations and hopes and desires and uh, that were really um, only a small part, only one part of a many-themed, um, uh, 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 far more pluralistic, and in fact, uh, I had mistaken um, them for the main themes, and the main themes have much more to do with God and love, uh, very strongly to do with God from the very earliest, and, and God and, and love as they are interpenetrated and interwoven, to quote Paula White, who was so brilliant last night at the Wednesday night service. What a privilege to be uh, sitting at the feet of this remarkably inspired um, voice and interpreter based on her own tragedies. She is an open vessel because she is so transparent about her own Shall we call them chromoite blobs? Whatever they are, whatever they are, I certainly have them. And that was the second. And the third um, word that I heard was um, "get off Twitter." Now that's going to be sort of obvious. You can say, "Well, obviously he would have something like that." The first one was "you're fifteen percent right, and therefore eighty-five percent." mistaken about the narrative of your life. Number two, so study the chromoite from 1964. The chromoite will show you the way you, you, you look, the way, the way you actually have become, in which this huge glob has overcome uh, the person. And uh, the, take away the glob and the misunderstandings and the misframings and the misorientations and the mis... Uh, characterizations of what is good and what is valuable and what is important and what is achievement and what is success. Take those away and, and, and you'll be just what's underneath the glob, uh, which we actually never see, except it turns out to be a vegan, vegan, um, benign, altruistic, thoughtful, and kind scientist underneath the glob. And the third, you know, that may be human wisdom here, the third was to get off Twitter. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Ali Hanna years ago um, received a word at the Sleepy Hollow Country Club on one of the top holes, the ninth hole, maybe the twelfth hole, Nancy would be able to remember it exactly. And uh, the message he received was uh, leave, and then the, the object of the imperative was the company of which he was a partner. Leave let's call it Ford Motor Company, leave General Electric. And he heard the word very clearly from God. It was as clear as a bell. And he, he was very upfront about telling people that he didn't do it. I think about four or five years later or three years later, he did. But when it first came, it was like Jonah, you know, go to Nineveh. Uh, he, he fought it. He, he didn't do it. And then he did do it and wonderful things happened. Well, um, I didn't get off Twitter initially because there are certain people I like to follow. I could tell you who they are. Each of us has his own favorites. But I was following Twitter, sort of five or six Twitter accounts. 
not many more. I had definitely, well, what I did is I cut back from about 15 to about 15, which like Glenn Greenwald, who just Twitter 24-7, to about three or four, which were more benign, I thought. But that was really bargaining with God. I was really trying to bargain with God. And then about a week and a half later, in talking with Mary, it became very clear to me that I it was not somebody else who told me to get off Twitter. It wasn't some nice, well-meaning, benign friend, which would have been great, but it was God. God was saying, get off Twitter. And I did. I'm off Twitter. I'm completely off Twitter. And uh, that's made a big difference. But I don't want to be all worldly and human about it. But I did. So three words. And do you take, uh, can you can you see this? What would what would it be like if, if, if what percentage of the narrative that you espouse or that you inwardly uh, are, attach yourself to, your hopes to, your aspirations to, what if you were to look at it and be told that it was only 15% accurate? Well, that, that was shocking. I did tell a few people about this especially Mary and my, my sons, all of them seem to agree. I mean, that was, they said, you know, you've been, you've had the wrong idea, especially about your career for your ministry. You know, things have gone very well in many remarkable ways. And you've been, you've, you've, you've attached your, your, you've attached your wagon <coughs> to a star that was false because things were actually wonderful and powerful and helpful and pastorally, um, Life helpful, life helping for many, many persons. But you've had this idea, you know, Mem Church or the National Cathedral, whatever. And um, so that 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 was true. And then the the <coughs> it was made spelled out with the chroma white glob. Just remove it, Paul, and there you'll have something quite different. Something quite different will be seen. It'll be it'll probably be a whole lot better because at least it won't be blocked and uh, rendered by you as something you can't see nor hear nor nor. Um, you can't see it because of the glob. You can't hear it because of the glob. And see, hear, um, um, and uh, speak, although the glob does sort of speak. Rah, rah, rah. And uh, the third, um, get off Twitter. Well, that was, uh, it, it, what just struck me is that do what God tells you to do. If God tells you to do this, don't don't bargain. Don't do a little bit of it. Or it's the Bible. There are many places where somebody is told to do something, and they they want to do it, but they 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 really don't have the guts to, or they they just decide not to do it because something else is protected, some some protected good that they value is more important to them than obeying the word of God. And they always come to a point later when they, they go back to what they should have done and do it. Well, that's, uh, that was me, and I have gone off Twitter. So that's my little uh, BLT. Uh, you heard the song Susan, which sort of sums up life, and certainly mine, uh, as of that terrible episode in the hospital and uh, just before and right after. And now we're going to conclude with a song of great hope that sounds... Um, starts out as a song of no hope and if you listen carefully there's great hope and the the song is short and sweet and repetitive and wonderful and perfect and it is by the Bobby Fuller for Letter Dance. Love you!